We have seen a lot of South Africans complain about why the state is waiting until May 2020 for a vaccine distribution when Kenya and Morocco are getting their dosages before the end of next month. Whilst people love to point out uh, late payment of COVAX facility as a reason, there may be other factors involved that uh, could help our listeners better understand our position and what South Africa has done behind the scenes to help low-income countries on the continent with health equity. And to speak to us more on this, this is uh, Professor David Walwyn from the Graduate School of Technology Management at the University of Pretoria. He's also the director of Reserva, which is a consulti- consultancy firm. Uh, Prof, thank you so much for joining us this evening all the way from Neisner. It's an absolute pleasure, Nomsa, um, Neisner or not. It's such an important conversation, so congratulations for bringing it to the public, and uh, yeah, I'm very happy to be on the show. Thank you so much. Prof, please tell us, for the benefit of our listeners who don't know, what is the COVIX facility, and why is it so important in ensuring that African countries... Hello? Hi, Prof, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you fine, yeah. Sorry, uh, you disappeared all of a sudden. Um, Norm, uh, COVAX is a bulk procurement facility. It's actually, um, it was set up by a number of players, but the most important player probably is Gavi. Gavi stands for the Global Alliance for Vaccines and Immunizations. And essentially, it's a facility which allows countries to come together and procure vaccine in bulk. Um, and it's a, it's a equity initiative. So the intention of COVAX is to ensure that poor countries and middle-income countries don't get left behind in the procurement race, if you like. Mm -hmm. So in the beginning, there's definitely going to be a shortage of vaccine. There's a huge demand and there's the global population. And of course, there are only at this point a number of manufacturers who are making the product and distributing it. So Mm -hmm. that's, yeah, that's, I mean, that's essentially the background to COVAX. Absolutely. And how many, do we know how many um, African countries at the moment are actually part of this COVAX facility? I I don't think we do. I mean, it's a global initiative. um, Mm -hmm. And as far as I know, there's very substantial subscription to COVAX from African countries. Mm -hmm. Um, And at this point, it's mainly the poorer, so it's the low middle income, medium, well, upper and low middle income and then the poor countries that are members of COVAX. Mm. And this is said to be the largest immunization drive in in our continent's history. Are African countries actually ready for a COVID-19 vaccine rollout? Depends what type of vaccine, I think. I mean, and that's the big issue. Mm-hmm. COVAX has said, look, we're going to procure the best vaccine for the continent. Um, and, the, the, you know, at this point, it's not clear what, which vaccine that's going to be. Um, if we, if we uh, are in a situation where 
each country has to roll out the Pfizer vaccine or the Moderna vaccine, both of which requires a uh, minus 70 degrees C cold chain distribution system. Mm-hmm. I don't think we are prepared for that, and I think most people would agree with that perspective. So I think everyone's hoping for the rollout of a vaccine, which is going to be easy to handle. Maybe it will require only a single dose. Um, maybe it can be distribute, distributed in the same way that we distribute the childhood vaccines, um, and it, it's not going to cost too much. So uh, the answer to your question is that it's going to depend to a large extent on the type of vaccine that is eventually procured. Mm-hmm. And as I said in my intro, we have seen a lot of South Africans complain in terms of what seems to be a delay in us receiving the vaccine. I heard the health minister today saying that we should receive the first dose by April, but there are countries like Kenya or Morocco who will be getting their dosages before the end of next month. What is the reason um, for this um, delay as far as South Africa is concerned? So those are two very interesting examples that you've given. Uh, let's talk about um, Kenya first. Uh, Kenya is a little bit baffling because Kenya is part of COVAX, and yes. the arrangement in COVAX is that all countries will receive the vaccine approximately simultaneously, obviously depending on their specific logistics. So I'm not sure how Kenya has managed to jump the gun with COVAX, um, and I don't actually fully believe that story. I I mean, maybe there is uh, some uh, reliable information that has been released that I'm not aware of. But Kenya is, to me, part of COVAX and will be receiving vaccine alongside all the other COVAX countries. Morocco is very different, though. Morocco signed a deal with the Chinese vaccine manufacturer. It's the Sinopharm, Sinovac vaccine. And it's a very, very different vaccine to um, the vaccine which COVAX is uh, essentially talking about. And it's different to the Pfizer vaccine and the Moderna vaccine. And Morocco, I suppose, has gone out on its own with this vaccine. Um, Maybe their regulatory authority has inspected the dossier and feels that the dossier is sufficiently persuasive to allow that country to register the vaccine and then to roll it out. But Mm -hmm. South Africa has, um, as far as I know, received such a dossier on the Chinese vaccine, and uh, COVAX is certainly not considering the Chinese vaccine. All right, quite interesting. We are in conversation with Professor David Woolwin about uh, the challenges facing the continent when it comes to accessing the COVID-19 vaccine and just also in terms of our readiness to roll out this immunization program. Stay with us. And uh, I'm Nomsam Luli standing in for Songezo Mabek. The Viewpoint, weekdays, 8 to 10 p.m. on SAFM. Hashtag SFM Viewpoint. And Professor David Woolwin joins us on the African narrative where we're talking about the continent and the COVID-19 vaccine. Prof, um, you know there are all, all, all a lot of conspiracy theories um, around vaccines and just when it comes to the African continent, um, some you know, news have been making the rounds that um, we're getting 
inferior quality as compared to the Western um, nations. What is your reaction to that? I think that's very unlikely. Um, Inferior quality, I mean, it's it's very difficult in a way to answer that question exactly because quality is very multidimensional in this case. So if Mm -hmm. I think of um, the vaccine, the properties of a vaccine, there might be 11 or 12 different variables which would contribute towards quality. Mm-hmm. And so you might be able to say, yeah, that the quality that we're going to get in uh, Africa would be of an inferior quality relative to the developed countries, but it may be more relevant for our context to be getting that specific vaccine. But I mean, I, I, the, the biggest, I think the biggest test of any vaccine is the level of protection that it affords. Mm-hmm. And there have been very high figures quoted for the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccine. So this is the minus 70 degrees vaccine. And the figure is in excess of 90% in terms of the, the level of protection that it affords. Whereas the vaccine that we're more likely to receive is probably a vaccine like the AstraZeneca Oxford vaccine, which is um, requires less of a stringent um, cold chain network. And that vaccine is, at this point, is quoted at 70% average efficacy with the possibility that that might increase. So uh, there's probably a weak argument that, yes, we may end up with a vaccine which isn't as efficacious, but is much more suited to our context than our budget. Um, than is then might be applicable to the developed countries. Mm-hmm. And lastly, Prof. I mean, it's one thing developing a safe and effective vaccine, um, but if communities are not on board and convinced that a vaccine will protect their health, then I think we'll make little headway. And and. Um, I guess with this question, uh, I'd like you perhaps to to convince you know our listeners that this is the right way to go. And and as I said, there are a lot of conspiracy theories around this vaccine. What do you make of this statement? I, I fully agree with you, Norm. So that public acceptance of the vaccine is critical, um, and there's absolutely no foundation for conspiracy theory at this point for any of the vaccines that are even even the ones that are still under development in the sense that these are not vaccines which are attempting to change you as a person or jeopardize your health or do something which is undercover. Um, These are all products which are being developed to protect you as a member of the public or as a uh, as a healthy individual from getting sick and possibly dying as a consequence of COVID. So it's really in everyone's interest to be vaccinated um, and to ensure that they play their part, if you like, in, the, in what we call the development of herd immunity in South Africa. So I guess, I mean, uh, I, I can only add my words to the already very strong arguments that have been presented that this is not something that has been designed to uh, get in the back door and undermine the health of individuals or the strength of communities. This is in the public interest and in the private interest that people are vaccinated. Mm.
Mm-hmm. Um, I I have a question here for you, Prof, and then after that we'll listen to a voice note as well. And the the um, the question is: uh, Good evening to you and your guest. How effective is a vaccine against the new variant, and what would be an an estimated cost of the vaccine? Um, is there a possibility we may experience a third wave? I think yeah, three questions there, Prof. Prof, um, would you like me to repeat them again? No, I've got them all. Okay. Um, so the first question is how effective is, this, is the present vaccines against the new variant? I think all the manufacturers have claimed that the, their vaccine will be effective against the new variant. Um, so, I mean, this is a very important point, but basically the virus depends on something called the spike protein. And that spike protein is essential to its ability to infect people. And it's also the target of the vaccine. So if the virus mutates its spike protein, it becomes less um, dangerous, if you like. And um, so it's unlikely to cause sickness in the same way. Um, and so the, the answer that I'm giving is simply that the virus has to preserve the spike protein and the spike protein is the target of the vaccine. And so it's very likely that all the variants will be um, will re- respond to the vaccine. So that was the first question. The second was a question about the um, cost. Mm. So the cost of the vaccine depends on how many doses we have to receive. But at this stage, the figure that we're talking about is about $9 per dose or maybe 150 rand. Mm-hmm. Um, if most of the vaccines are two dose regimens, so that would be 300 rand per person. And I did some quick figures for you. The, the payment that we made to COVAX was 327 million rand, um, and that's to cover basically, um, it's a 15% payment to cover 10% of the population. So if you work out all the numbers, that's actually 400 rand per person. So if we have to vaccinate um, our whole population, it's going to cost us between 12 and 15 billion rand. So that was the second question. Then the third question was, actually, now you have to remind me. (laughs) Okay, I think you've answered all of them, Prof. Um, Let's just take a listen to one more voice note. Good evening, Namsan. Good evening to your guest. I just have one quick question. I read an article that speaks about how if you take this vaccine, then your antibodies are less likely to fight an HIV infection. And then also, I just want to know, there was a time when they started introducing antiretrovirals and these things came with so many effects. People's bodies changed. The distribution of fat was different. I think that thing was called lipodostrophy, you know, where it just changes you. Your feet become thinner, men have got men boobs, and then the jawline changes. And we're not going to be seeing funny things like those with these vaccines. Prof? Yeah, they're such important questions. Um, so first of all, the question about the antibodies. There's um, very, very, there is absolutely no relationship between the two. So the vaccine generates antibodies against the COVID spike protein, 
Um, mm. But that doesn't have any effect whatsoever on antibodies that you will already be generating in your system if you have HIV. So there's no relationship there. Um, there are many, many different types of antibodies in circulating in our blood systems um, constantly. And so <clears throat> the fact that there's one more antibody doesn't mean that there's one less fighting and, um, HIV. And then the second question about the, the effect of the vaccine versus what happens with the HIV medications. I mean, again, the HIV medications, are where, these are medications that you were taking daily or that were being taken daily mm. um, in large quantities, actually. So often a gram a day of a medicine and um, over a, a period of a year, those medicines were having a very strong effect on the metabolism of the patient. Now, with the vaccine, essentially you got two doses of, and these are tiny quantities of medicine that are being dosed in the, in the microgram level, not in the gram level. And so the uh, reaction of the body um, at the at the level of your metabolism, so in other words, any changes in bone structure or fat distribution, that is extremely unlikely. So one would not expect that effect, um, and I'm sure that's part of the dossiers that will have been submitted to show that there's unlikely to be any long-term changes at a metabolic level. Mm. Prof, thank you so much for joining us um, this evening. It's been a pleasure having you um, and enlightening us on, you know, the different questions that we have around the COVID facility as well as the COVID-19 as it relates to the continent. Thank you so much. Pleasure, Lanza. Thank you. That's Professor David Walwen, who's the graduate from the Graduate School of Technology Management at the University of Pretoria, also director of Reserva, which is a consultancy firm. And that's a wrap of the show, folks, on Tuesday night. We've got two more days until the end of the year. Can you believe it? Book reading is up next. We'll also have your daily soapy, but please, please stay tuned for late night conversations with Patricia and Dooley. At about 10 o'clock and thank you to Lesejo Mangwanyane, Kanya Bonani as well as Phineas Ndoba and Mpo Dawana, our technical producers. Have a lovely evening. Enjoy load shedding. See you again tomorrow. Good night.